Success and failure. We think of them as opposites, but they're really not. They're companions. The hero and the sidekick. Lawrence Shames. You're listening to Writing Roots, brought to you by Aspen House Publishing. Welcome to Writing Roots. I'm Lee Hull. And I'm Lee Esses. The topic we are going to talk about today was a request from one of our friends on our Discord channel. If you want to join us over there, head to our website. We have it linked in the upper bar, the invitation, so you can join. But the question was about failing successfully. So we wanted to talk about successes, about failures, and how, like our quote said, they are not opposites, but you can fail in a successful way. Every episode we've had so far this month has been on a particular role that a character plays in a story. This bonus episode applies to all of your characters. Your sidekick can fail. Your villain's chorus can succeed. What we're talking about today even applies to your main character, your hero. These choices that you're making as the god of this little world that you are creating in your fiction story make it interesting. So whatever we're talking about, if you have a particular character that you're struggling with to make feel realistic, to make interesting, help us root for them, today's episode is on deepening every other character we've talked about this month. The first thing we have to consider when we are going to look at the idea of successes and failures is that these characters, in order to succeed or in order to fail, have to be making choices choices that will lead them in one direction or the other. And those are split into two different categories, big and small. When your character is making a choice, that choice should be informed by their opinion. If it doesn't align with their opinions about whatever it is, then it feels like an unrealistic choice. That opinion should be informed by their backstory. It's part of their personality. It's part of the character, who they are. So you need to know who they are to know what kind of choices that they're going to make, as well as what kind of choices they're going to encounter. Like we said, there are two different kinds of choices you can present for your characters. The big choices, the ones that change the path that the character is on, and the little choices, the ones that don't mean anything, but still inform us about the scene and the character themselves. Let's start with those big choices. You need to make sure when you are giving your character a big choice that this choice is between bad and worse, not something good and bad, because those are easy choices. Those are boring choices. But when you are presenting the character with this person dies or all of these people die, the choice suddenly becomes very critical, very big, and very interesting to look at how your character is going to respond to that. In my current D&D campaign, I am leading the players into a villain arc. They don't know it. This is just me screwing with them and guiding them to make choices to slide them toward villainy. So I have this one character who joined the Assassin's Guild. She's asked to assassinate a good character. So she has two choices. It's not spare a life or take a life, but either betray the guild that she just joined and is trying to prove herself on, or kill somebody who is a good person. Having this bad and worse choice for her to make is far more interesting than kill the puppy or don't kill the puppy. Obviously, don't kill the puppy. Also, 
when you have these big choices, especially towards the end of the story, there are a few things that you need to be doing to help set up for them, to make them more palatable, to make it a little easier to understand why the character is being faced with that decision. A good representation of this is in the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, where he has the choice of saving Harvey Dent or his love interest. And you have in that story plenty of foreshadowing to get you to this idea that that's going to be what happens, that there's this choice that has to be made. And you see both sides of why he would want to save Harvey Dent or why he would want to save his love interest. When you are deciding where to put these big choices in, timing them can be crucial to making sure the pacing of your story feels good. If you have no big choices for the first act, and then three big choices in the end of the second act, and then nothing for the third act, it feels very awkward. These big choices should be turning points for your character, therefore they should happen between acts, as the acts are changing from act one to act two. Especially that act two to act three transition, the failure that they're going to encounter at this big choice is what leads to the darkest moment that we've talked about before. But it's not just the end of the story where you can put these actions and these choices. Often, you're also going to get it at the beginning of the story, which is going to create your inciting action. One of the biggest reasons why I see an inciting action fail is because stuff is happening to the character, the character doesn't have a choice in the matter. If the character is making a choice and it's the wrong choice, then you can set up for the success of the end to be so much more powerful. Giving your character a choice between bad and worse, especially, I have to save my brother, so I have to let my mom burn. These choices that your character is making will haunt them and will give them depth and growth throughout your story. And of course, with these big choices, you also need to consider who is giving the choice to the character. Is the villain presenting the choice, or is the main character, the hero, giving the choice to themselves? This helps us align with the character, figure out which choice we would make in the same circumstance, and if we're rooting for the character or not, or even really hate the person who's making the character choose. Even if they're not the main villain, if dad's making them choose, then we don't like dad. Not all of the choices your characters face will be big choices. There are often going to be small ones that make little tweaks to the direction of the story along the way. Most of these have little to no consequences in the grand scheme of things. Your character is going on a coffee date. How do they take their coffee? It doesn't ever change how the character succeeds in the very end. It's just how they like their coffee. This tells us something about their personality. These are the choices that you should be interspersing throughout the big choices. All of those little moments where a big choice doesn't make sense, but we still want to learn more about the character, little choices of no consequence will help us like the character. Also, you can have a little bit of fun with these small choices. They don't actually have to be small choices. They can be big choices in disguise. Such as in The Witcher, when saving an innocent person grants them the law of surprise and they accidentally end up with a child as their destiny. These small choices in disguise 
are a great way to not only screw with your reader, but to screw with your character. So knowing how your character treats decisions of no consequence will help inform how they treat decisions of huge consequence as well. The main part of this episode that we wanted to talk about is not just the choices, but the successes and the failures. What happens as a consequence of these choices that you've put in front of your characters? First and foremost, before we get into this, we need to say your characters need both. They need successes and they need failures. It is not a story, at least not a compelling story, if your main character succeeds on every single step of the process. Because not only is it going to be a very short story, but it's just not fulfilling because we, as people, connect better with failure. So when you are deciding to let your characters succeed, there are a couple ways to do that in a way that doesn't feel stale, that doesn't make it feel like the character's a Mary Sue. The first way to really help establish a good success for your character is to start with a failure. So they made the wrong choice in act one. Now, as they're learning more about the lie they believe about themselves, they're making different choices and succeeding. This is showing us character growth. You don't necessarily have to have both of them happening on screen or in the story, but it can be a key part of the character's backstory that we've been introduced to that now they're encountering this very similar circumstance and we can see how the events that we've seen them go through through the story have changed their response. Successes are also very important for your main character so they don't feel utterly incompetent. There is a nice balance between failing and succeeding that your main character needs to have. If they are failing at everything and then suddenly win at the end, we as the readers don't understand how they got there. There is a huge difference between a loser and an underdog. We want to root for the underdog. We do not want to root for the loser. Because you have to remember that it is merit and not luck that will be key to your character feeling powerful. Don't have the deus ex machina swoop in at the end and suddenly make everything okay and suddenly make the main character competent. We need to see their growth throughout the story and that includes having some minor successes along the way. One of the great tools you will have in your arsenal for having these successes along the way while still maintaining the overarching problem of the story, that tool is going to be the villain's chorus. You can have Simba face off against hyenas and have successes against the hyenas without officially battling Scar. You're working your way up to the big bad. Also keep in mind that successes throughout the story are vital for tension and release. We've talked before that you need that tension building, the stakes being raised along the way, but you also need moments where that gets released, where the characters, where the readers can take a breath and relax for a minute. Having minor successes allows for that, allows for the tension to get released even just a little bit. Yes, the overall threat is still there, but we accomplished this thing that is a major key in getting us there. If there is not that release from the tension in some regard, then your hero will feel unsuccessful. 
if they don't have a moment where they're reminded what they're fighting for. They don't have a moment where they're recognizing what the good times are. They might lose their sanity, as well as your readers. Characters losing their sanity is fun. Readers, not so much. So making sure that you have those successes as release in your tension and release can make it feel like your character is worthy of the challenge. Another great way to have that tension and release to make sure that your readers are aligned with your hero is to give them humor. This is not a success in the grand overarching scheme of things. This is not a big choice. This is a little choice. But those little moments of humor can be super powerful in ensuring your readers continue to be on the same side as your hero. But of course, you can't let everything be a success. You have to have more trials. Those trials are going to get more difficult. They are going to fail along the way. And you need to let that happen. Let the characters fail. To go along with this idea, keep in mind that sometimes your successes are going to be failures. So it appears like they succeeded, but in actuality, that success is actually not helping them with their end goal. They achieved something they thought was going to help, and it turns out it helps the villain more. There is always that opportunity to introduce the yes, but. Yes, we did this thing, but there are other things that went wrong because of it. And that leads us really well into the failures for your characters. Those failures are vital in humanizing your characters. If you have been told that your character feels a little bit like a Mary Sue, then they aren't failing enough. And these failures for the character are successes for you as an author. This is when your audience starts cheering for your character, when they start feeling for the character, when they recognize that this is human, they're the underdog, but we can still root for them. Now let's get into how to carry out those failures. The first thing to consider to really think about when you are looking at in what ways you want your character to fail is the lie that they believe about themselves. However they fail should be a reflection of that. It should be a confirmation of that lie. So your character believes that their only purpose in life is to have a valiant death. Then they charge into battle recklessly. They Leroy Jenkins this thing and one of their friends gets killed. The lie directly informs how the failure took place. If they had been more careful, if they had valued life more, it would have had a different outcome. I think that idea specifically is very well represented in the Stormlight Archives with Kaladin, where he believes absolutely that he is cursed, that the Stormfather, that whatever gods exist have cursed him to survive when all of his friends die, when everybody else around him dies, and he is the reason all of these people die. And we see it confirmed over and over and over again, these people around him dying. But what he doesn't see is how they would have died anyway. But because of him, they lived a little longer. Because of his abilities, he's actually been blessed. That's why he's survived. And that's why the people around him get better opportunities than they would have had in any other case. But he so firmly believes this lie that he cannot see anything 
but failures, but death and him being the reason why. Another great purpose for making your character fail is to show just how powerful this villain is. The character gets captured while on a scouting mission. This is a failure and not necessarily because of what the character has done. Yes, there should be in parts some mistake that they made that they can learn from, but the villain is really good at what they do also. Anyone else wouldn't have noticed the twig snapping. But like you mentioned, it is not just the villain's power that leads to these particular failures. Yes, that is a big part of it. You want to make sure that your villain appears to be powerful, but you don't want your main character to feel untouchable or perfect. So you don't want to represent it as this character did nothing wrong. It was just bad luck that they got caught. So you want these characters to have failures, and that helps guarantee against the character feeling like a Mary Sue or this perfect untouchable character that was very common in 2010's urban fantasy. I recently read a book where it was very clearly a Gary Stu, and the biggest indicator of that for me was he was not responsible for his failings. The villain was just too powerful. He hadn't leveled up enough, so it's not his fault. Let the failures be the hero's fault. Then we can root for them. If they're not, we can't. And the reason it needs to be their fault is because that is how the characters learn. If they are not learning, then they are not growing. And we talked about at the beginning, growth is essential. So general rule of thumb, in the first half of the story, the story is happening to your main character. They're swept up in the tide of things. They didn't have a choice in the fact that they were divergent or whatever. Stuff is happening to your character. In the second half of the story, the character is happening to stuff. They are making choices. They are standing their ground. They are doing things and learning from the first half of the story. And there are going to be a lot of failures along the way, especially in Act 2 as they're starting to take control of their story but not quite powerfully enough to achieve what they need to in the end. And they escape by the skin of their teeth. This, again, ties into that lie that your main character believes about themselves. So in the first half of the story, they are safe and comfortable in that lie. When they start to doubt it, and then stuff happens, failures happen, it's proving that lie correct in your hero's mind. So it's making that lie more powerful so that when they break out of it at the very end, we can be rooting for them. And keep in mind, like the bad luck, like the idea that your villain can't be the all-powerful one, coincidences cannot get your character out of trouble. They get your characters into trouble. So if you need coincidence to get them out, either rewrite and foreshadow it or give it a yes but. So I'm going to use my D&D campaign again. If the characters were supposed to run away from this encounter, they're all new D&D players. They're like, we can take them. They were trusting me way too much. I had to throw in an NPC on their side to help save the day. Now the NPC is going to ask them to fulfill this life debt and do a favor for them. This is the cost of saving the day and not all dying from these monsters that they were not powerful enough to encounter. 
Also keep in mind that it's not just your main characters that are going to fail. It is going to be your mentor. They're fallible, believe it or not. The sidekick is going to mess some things up. Maybe they forget some key element that they needed to bring, and now their plan won't work. The love interest is going to get captured and need rescued. Please don't. (laughs) But it's a possibility. This is my problem with the Clone Wars that I'm watching. Padme gets captured all the time. (laughs) And that is her only role in this first season or second season, whatever season I am on of the Clone Wars. Her role is to be the damsel in distress that gets captured. And it's so annoying. And having these failures with your other characters, not just your hero, not only gives them company, but also gives you conflict for your story. The mentor made a mistake. He was supposed to be my teacher. How could he possibly do this? How can I trust him as a teacher now? There is conflict between the characters because of failures, not because of successes. This also opens up the opportunity that when you have more than one character experiencing failures, that they get to talk about it with each other. It can be a reputation thing where character B and C talk about A, or it can be that argument between them where they are talking about the what went wrong kind of conversation. When we were working at the local news station, After every broadcast, we would get together and have a conversation about what worked, what chances we took, and what didn't work, and how we can prevent that from happening again. As the leader of these conversations, I did a lot of once is a coincidence, twice is a pattern. So I don't mind someone making a mistake the first time. The second time is when I'm like, okay, we need to address this. We need to change something. These meetings were called post-mortem, where we would talk about how to do it better next time. This happens if your hero is part of making a plan for the final event, so we can know this is what the plan is supposed to be. Then when the sidekick doesn't show up on cue, we know that's a mistake. We know that's not how they were hoping things to fall out. So if you've kind of decided what sort of choices do you want to throw in front of your characters, you need to decide when. You need to have the opportunity to present your character with these big choices, with the small choices, small choices disguised as big ones, big ones disguised as small ones, whatever variety you want to throw in there. It is your job to put these challenges in front of the characters. And therefore, letting them succeed or fail based on these opportunities that you are providing. So if you are a plotter, you can strategically place when these are going to happen. So you know they're going to fail when I give them this opportunity. They're going to succeed when I give them this. You can pace the tension and release really well as a plotter in order to keep the reader engaged and rooting for your character from front to back. As a pantser, you don't necessarily have to know if they're going to succeed or not, but you do need to have an idea of how your fleshed out characters will perform. That when you give them these choices, let them act according to how they would act and see what happens. Give the hero a chance to be the hero and suffer the realistic consequences of whatever choice it is that they make. As the author... If you are not giving your hero opportunities to succeed or to fail, then they are not interesting characters. The reader can't be rooting for the character to make this choice instead of that one. This can make for a very flat story. 
Every chance you get as an author should be a choice for your characters and letting them succeed or fail. Because we as the audience don't want it to be all one side or the other. If we can predict it consciously, it is not fun. If we know every time they face a challenge they're going to win, it's not fun. But we want to have hints and tips along the way. We can see this character and how they've been built and how they've answered questions before, answered choices, and get an idea of how they're going to respond and how maybe it's not going to work out so well because this character is way too brash to be dealing with this situation. So your reader should be subconsciously guessing and should be supplied with enough ingredients to make that pizza. So they have enough clues to guess who the murderer is. And when the hero accuses the person you think is the murderer also, then you can be rooting for them and they'll bring up points that your reader may not have thought of and vice versa. Or when they accuse somebody else, you can be like, no, that's the wrong person. You're engaged emotionally and that is the goal. You never want your reader to be saying, let me guess, blah, blah, blah is going to happen because that is not an entertaining read. Your reader is not rooting for your character. The reader is slogging through your book. Next month, we are going to be talking a lot more about which challenges happen when, how to pace your story so your readers are rooting for the characters the whole way. We are going to get into that third pillar of storytelling, which is plot. Hopefully our conversation today helped answer some questions for you, helped give you an idea of what sort of things need to happen for your character during the story and why, so that when you write your characters, you can write selfishly. If you have a question or comment for our hosts or a topic you'd like us to cover, send us an email at writingroots at aspenhousepublishing.com or find us on Facebook by searching for Aspen House Publishing. <laughs>